So I just want to begin by paying homage to my root teachers, uh, Sojin Diane Martin from Udambara Zen Center in Evanston, Illinois, and Reverend Val Sosmanski from Bamboo in the Wind. And I'd like to just invite us to take a few moments to just come into our bodies, to come into a full presence together now. I want to acknowledge that we are on historic homeland of the Nisanan, the Patwin, and the Northern Miwok tribes here in Sacramento and Yolo County. I invite us to to attune ourselves to the gifts offered from the native peoples who understand that everything is interconnected. And through our connection to this land, we can start to restore our interconnection with all beings and all life. Tetnan Han says, the earth is the Buddha. And really, it is at first through our senses that this connection to all love life awakens and reveals that in a way the essence of life continuing is care. We can't live without care. This is built in to our embodiment. When a baby is born, the sucking reflex immediately clicks in to search for for milk. The mother's breasts open and produce milk to the sound of the baby's cry. Parents teach their children how to ride a bike or how to swing. Trees intertwine in their roots to share nutrients. Birds cry to communicate protection for each other. We express care through touch, through making food and clothing and feeding each other. And research shows that babies who are touched, who are held, who experience an attunement to their needs thrive. down to the smallest cell. We are of each other. Never were we separate units. I am because we are, Native African tribes sing Ubuntu. And this truth of the essential interconnectedness that's bred by care may be why for Dogen the cook, in the tent, in the monastery is the most important monk because he creates meals that sustain our lives for the sake of enlightenment. That's what we chant when we chant the meal chant. We regard this food as good medicine to sustain our lives. We receive this food for the sake of enlightenment. But Dogen also comments that the Tenzo practices while cooking. He or she brings his mind-body wholeheartedly to the ordinary task of cooking. And as Dogen says, ordinary greens build great temples. The Tenzo creates meals out of what is available, but the way he, he or she prepares and cooks and serves the food transforms the food into spiritual nurturance, nurture, nutrients. 
So as we begin our journey tonight to live with this question, what is love anyway? Maybe we can wonder, is love something that awakens us to the truth of our interconnectedness? But yet this truth of care that sustains life interacts with other truths, because for us humans, almost immediately, our social conditioning, our karmic patterns create suffering and click in. A mother may be in the midst of a depression and not able to listen consistently to the baby's cry. Someone else may feel that the only way to feel love is to control the other person for a guarantee, mistaking of the deep need for love, for love itself. My four-year-old granddaughter from India has very dark skin. One day she noticed a mahogany chest in our bedroom she points to her skin and says, I can't peel this dark skin off. Some people say I feel unlovable. Their heart closes, making it impossible for us to give or receive the love. We can be hurt so much, the curtain closes. Someone says it takes courage to love, for we all know on some level we all die. Our loved ones will die. We can be hurt by loss and betrayal, and yet we love. White people in power seem to think it's okay to hate. It's okay to exert violence for the sake of power. It's okay to break promises and take back land that was given in a treaty. In our culture, it seems that it's easier to hate than to love. Bell Hooks says in her last book, all about love, new visions. She says, we live in a culture that remains silent about love. It is much easier to talk about loss than to talk about love. It is much easier to articulate the pain of love's absence than to describe its presence and meaning in our lives. She says, schools of love do not exist. So maybe we can also agree that we are all wounded, we suffer. We are not alone in our suffering. Suffering is universal. This is our human condition. Most of us don't believe that all of us have Buddha nature. And yet, on the other hand, if you listen all around, there is talk of love, the Beatles. All you need is love. Love is all around. My two-year-old grandson says, love Lou. Someone said, my dog loves me ferociously. The football quarterback, I'm not a football person, but the football quarterback, quarterback from the Georgians after winning against the Alabamans exclaimed three times in an interview, I love those guys. So love is all around. And yet, we can't talk about love. Um, in Leonard Cohen's song, There Ain't No Cure for Love, he opens up this question in another way. I'm sure you've heard it. Um, there ain't no cure for love. It's written in the scriptures. It's written there in blood. 
I even heard the angels declare it from above, there ain't no cure for love. This song touches me because I hear Leonard Cohen making a declaration that love is such a strong force that no matter what, love lives. Even when he confesses his shortcomings, losses, his own betrayals, he proclaims, love lives. He's saying that love forgives him and love continues to communicate to him that he's worthy of love. It's like a victory song. Love wins out and frees us all. And listening to the song, this song is punctuated by drums, the harmonics of the music. Your whole body couldn't help but feel this love. The drum beat is like our heartbeat. The body listens. The body feels. I walked into this empty church. I had no place else to go when the sweetest voice I ever heard came whispering to my soul. I don't need to be forgiven for loving you so much. It's written in the scripture. It's written there in blood. I even heard the angels declare it from above. There ain't no cure for love. So, Listening to this, the question comes up again. Well, what is love? What is this love? How do we know it's present? How do we actualize love in our lives? But maybe we can agree that love, whatever it is, is real. Love, whatever it is, is adamantine, unable to be broken. So I just want to share some of my thoughts about what is this love? Um, I thought love asks us to refrain. How do you love someone by honoring their uniqueness, their shortcomings, and support their growth and development as it emerges from within, rather than imposing our views or opinions? I recently read a little memoir in The Lion's War by Grace Syverson, who is now a Soto Zen priest and a Dharma teacher. And she described that when she was in college, she lived with her boyfriend and they were about to graduate and um, her boyfriend was going to be drafted. And so they thought they would escape to Canada, but they found out that if they went to Canada, they couldn't really live together in any kind of organized situation if they weren't married. So they just said, okay, we're going to get married. And they went to a rabbi and the rabbi wasn't available. And the boyfriend thought, ah, what about Suzuki? And they had never even met Suzuki before, but they went to him and he agreed to marry them. And, and uh, Grace, and they had to do this really fast. She noticed the, that he had on these tabby shoes, these white Japanese tabby shoes. And she thought, oh, how lovely. So she bought her white dress. She went and she bought herself a pair of tabby shoes and walked to the zendo with her fiancé for the ceremony. By the time she got there, her tabby shoes were dirty and gray. And um, Suzuki didn't say anything. He went through the marriage ceremony, um, bringing this joyous marriage ceremony to these two people to begin their lives together. And she only learned much later that if she had been a student of Suzuki, 
he would have explained to them that you never wear tabbies outside, only in the zendo. And if you're coming to the zendo, you wear them under your shoes, you leave your shoes at the door. And these are special sacred shoes. But see, he refrained and he planted a seed, really, of the Dharma in her heart by giving her this joyous marriage to begin her adult life. Plato says in his dialectic of love, love is supple, not stiff. For if it were stiff, it could not fold herself into everywhere or throughout every soul. This suppleness is also graceful. And so there is beauty in love. Another thought, maybe love is something that guides something in us moving us forward to more life, maybe even below the level of consciousness. Um, way back when um, John and I were raising our three daughters, we were in a very complex blended family situation. Uh, two of our daughters were my, became my stepdaughters, and then our third daughter was our biological daughter. We had a family of five, but there was also complex family dynamics that were very, very hard. And at some point for me, it felt almost unbearable. And, and, and this voice said, Dora Lee, what, what are you doing? Why are you still hanging in here? You know, I didn't really have an answer, but I was at that point practicing in the Christian meditation tradition. So I was meditating. So I asked in my meditation, you know, how come I'm still here? And all of a sudden, the word love just came up. And it was like this amazing experience, because I realized, oh, yes, I love my family. I could feel it, but I didn't know it in a way. So that love was like underneath silently, you know, helping me cultivate this family of five. But even at this point, I was still depressed. And I stumbled upon my teacher. And her first instruction for me to sit zazen was to sit in the wellspring of life. Just sit in the wellspring of life. And so I began that practice. And it didn't happen immediately, but I began to feel restored. And I realized that what had been missing about love is that I didn't know about self-love. Uh, my practice began to cultivate in me love for self as well as love for other. Another thought, love gives us the courage and clarity to do hard things. Love takes us beyond ourselves. I know that each of you have had some experience of, of being able to do something really hard that came from love. And I had my dearest friend Mary had Parkinson's disease and it was quite towards the end of her life. She couldn't walk. She couldn't control her bladder. She couldn't feed herself. And her dog was urinating all over the, the bedroom and I just remember something came over me 
where I could change her diaper, I could pick her up, I could take her in the shower and, cl and clean and bathe her. And I didn't resent it. I was filled with love. Um, Plato says, love is the force that desires what it lacks and continually births itself into expressions of love. And the Genjo Koan says this too. When Dharma does not fill your whole body and mind, you think it is already sufficient. When Dharma fills your body and mind, you understand that something is missing until we participate in the birthing of love through doing something beyond ourselves. Also, a love can arise silently, like here in our Sangha life. I mean, there are so many moments where one of you shows up and silently contributes to everything that has to be done to fulfill the Sangha life. And it's amazing because no one says anything, usually. It's just done. Um, love is power. Love is justice. Cornell West, a professor of theology at Princeton University, maybe you know of him, says, justice is the public face of love. He says, don't be surprised by evil. Love speaks out, names racism, does not stay silent. I learned through Tanahashi quotes that for the past 25 years, Congressman John Conyers Jr. of Detroit has introduced a bill calling for a congressional study of slavery, its lingering effects and possible remedies. For 25 years, H.R. 40 called the Commission to Study and Develop Reparation Proposals for African Americans Act. The last time it was proposed was April 2021. It still has not passed. Perseverance. Um, and then I thought, love reveals our hindrances, our own hindrances. Don't see love manifesting. And I wanted to, to tell you about uh, this time I was with my family and my uh, step-grandmother, she was in her 90s, was very ill, um, suddenly came to our door. She was shriveled up like a prune. Um, she was bent over. Um, I went up to her and I hugged her and all I could feel was black, just black. And I, at that point, many years ago, I was repulsed and I pulled back. And all I could think of is, oh, she's a smoker. She died the next week. And it wasn't until much later that it came to me in my samadhi. She came to express her love. She knew she was dying. She came to say goodbye. And I missed it. You know, my own judgments got in the way. So lately, I've been experiencing a kind of primordial suffering, 
very uncomfortable. And then I notice what my mind does. My mind wants to figure out how to get away from it. My mind either or wants to leap over it and pretend like it wasn't there. Um, I feel like my practice holds me in this crucible so that I can stay fully alive and present without falling into either side, trying to run away or trying to bypass. Um, Could this kind of practice be a kind of intimacy of love? So maybe it's time now to bring this question directly to the Dharma itself. I've been studying Dogen's fascicle, One Bright Pearl, Ika no Myoju, the entire world in the 10 directions is one bright pearl. I think some of you are familiar with this fascicle. Um, And I've been turning to Shohaku Okamura to listen to his commentary on this fascicle. And he right away offers a different translation for the word pearl. Whole universe in the 10 directions, the way it's been translated is one bright pearl. And Okamura says, the metaphor of the pearl doesn't really fit because a pearl is formed inside of a shell. It's hidden and it's opaque, it's confined. For him, the correct um, translation is jewel. The entire world in the 10 directions is one bright jewel because the jewel illuminates everything. It reflects all colors. He goes deeper into this metaphor of the jewel by saying this jewel has no color of its own, but it is able to illuminate and take on the color of our situation, of our suffering. Um, So this jewel is intertwined with our conditioned life and has the ability to penetrate our situations of suffering for the sake of enlightenment. And this is exactly the Dharma. So at the beginning of this fascicle, uh, you've probably heard the story of Shibi, maybe not, you have not heard the story of Shibi. Um, uh, At the beginning of this fascicle, it's a mythic story from what I understand, it's a story of Shibi who loved fishing and he would float down the river as other fishermen do. But one day a golden scaled fish came to him without his seeking it. And he suddenly had the urge to leave the dusty world. So he gave up his boat and went off into the mountains. This golden scaled fish came up without him seeking it. I just have a feeling something like this has happened to each of us in some way some kind of golden fish came up, awakened you, and and opened up your practice life, our practice life. So the story above Shibi goes on, and he studied with great teacher Zen Jiao day and night. But one day he decides to leave this mountain and wander to another mountain and visit other teachers. And during that time, he fell and stubbed his toe, and it started to bleed, and he was in a lot of pain. 
So he went to um, a teacher and said, uh, they say the body is not real existence. So where does this pain come from? This truth, the truth of pain and suffering, it's part of our embodied lives. He said, no one can be fooled. We exist as embodiment. We suffer. This is real. He continued his practice, Dogen says. He says, although Shibi was a fisherman who had never read sutras, even in dreams, he focused his attention to practice and was strongly determined. After many years of practice, he became the teacher. And he says to his students, the whole world in the 10 directions is one bright jewel. Remember, the jewel, as Okamura expresses, illuminates everything, takes on the colors of whatever's happening in our lives. But we ask, what is love? But now we can ask, well, what is this jewel? And I have to confess that I, I, I was really struggling. I felt like somehow I had to explain it all to you, what this jewel is, but I can't. It's, it's beyond comprehension, this jewel. It's, it's vast, it's profound, it's beyond anything we can comprehend. Dogen says, this jewel is neither vast nor minute, neither square nor round. It is not neutral, not active, not obvious. Because it is beyond the coming or going of birth and death, it is the coming and going of birth and death. Thus, past days have already left here and the present moment starts from here. This illuminating jewel, vast and boundless, right here, intimate, with whatever is arising in us, this vast and comprehensible jewel that illuminates everything is right here, intimate with whatever is arising in us. Dogen says, even if you totally avoid this for a while, this expression arises all inclusively for you right now, this timeless bright jewel is boundless. The jewel interpenetrates our lives and meets us in our suffering. So I started to feel, oh, the jewel, the jewel loves us. The jewel is love in its activity of, of chasing after us, of penetrating our lives, of showing something to us about what's in the way of our enlightenment. This love isn't ours. It's the mysterious absolute seeking us, opening Dharma gates for us. So we can say the jewel loves us. And in our practice, in our coming, in our sincere, every day sitting in the wellspring of the life. We are the lovers and the beloved. The jewel is the lover and the beloved.
Thank you for listening. So um, this is just an open time. Maybe you have some of your own thoughts about, well, what is love or what comes up for you or um, any questions? Uh, Kenny. It's not really a question, but I was thinking about, I used to have this Aikido teacher who had this thing where we go different practices and get into love. And he came up with this definition of love, which is like, I'm at peace with others or myself and my surroundings. I'm gracious, benevolent, and protective. And sometimes we try to do Aikido with love and without love. And, you know, mostly if we didn't do it with love, it was just really rough and exhausting. So if we did it, but so that was, this guy came up with a definition of love that he was sharing with us. So it's like, okay, good. Uh, and I don't think about it because uh, <laughs> it's like six different factors or something. And, but uh, it does emphasize connection with other people. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. it was very embodied, it sounds like. Yeah, very embodied. Yeah, that, that's something that you were you're practicing to live and that then you express yourself in a different way mm. and that was uh, that was it for me yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. thank you dave I, I, thank you very much for your talk and clearly you spent a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of thought on it, and your love for us and the Sangha and the Dharma comes through. So oh. thank you. Thank you very much. Oh. Okay. We have a question from Oscar in Zoom. Hi, Oscar. Hi, Dorley. Hi. Thank you so much uh, for your lovely talk. Um, really, you're joyful, uh, and I might even say ecstatic talk in its breadth of, of vision of a universe uh, that, that loves us and, uh, and is filled with love. And what it made me think of was um, Dovin's um, Genjo Koan and his metaphor and I, this may be pushing the metaphor i think it is but maybe not in any way it's what occurs to me his metaphor of the bird and the fish no matter how far a bird flies in the air fish swims in the sea no matter how far the bird flies or how far the fish swims it never reaches the end of its element and as you were speaking uh, of the golden fish and the jewel, it seems to me that we're like that bird and fish living, as it were, in an ocean, in an ocean of love. Uh, it's the, uh, that's the element which brought us uh, into the world, which sustains our life. 
and which will continue. Um, and in that, in that relationship between us and, and the element in which we live our lives, uh, although we may not know it, like a fish may not understand that much about water, a bird may not understand that much about the air because it's so intimate, it doesn't seem like something apart from itself. Uh, and in that intimacy, there's, there's no sense of gap, there's no separation uh, between us and everything else that love has brought into, the, into being. So, Oh, that's, uh, that's, that's the first thought that I had. But I will say one other thing. I, I, I uh, yield to no one in my um, admiration for Okamura Sensei. Uh, we've read a number of his extremely helpful books in, in, in our groups. Uh, but I do like the image of a pearl because it's round and it's soft in its um, nacreous luminosity. So, if it's okay with you, I'll, I'll keep thinking about the pearl. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I know there's a wonderful phrase, the great round pearl rolls around in the bowl. You know, that's a lovely sort of another way of expressing this open fluidity of life that, you know, is possible. And um, I wanted to say, too, like you're talking about the ocean and the birds in the air, and, and that I feel like even in, in my experience of my practice life, it's like I do now have faith that something bigger is always present, but I may not actually feel it in my consciousness necessarily in that moment but something happens later, unexpectedly, you know, beyond my control, that seems to be, you know, like a letter <laughs> from that presence. Um, so this is also about faith. I think our practice, at the, the, the passion of our faith is, the passion of our practice is, is faith in this jewel, the truth of the Dharma. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Oscar. <laughs> well, did any of your own experiences of love get evoked, or um, this is just a time to share uh, how we're living with this question? <laughs> Is the Tao love? Tell me more. Well, the the Tao is everywhere, hmm. penetrating, uh, undescribable. Hmm. Uh, if you can describe it, that's not it. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And. It is you know love wrapped up in that 
uh, I mean, you know, the, the, the sea we're swimming in, the air we're flying in, whatever. Yeah, so that's sort of a question you're living with in a way. Yeah. Is, is there love in the Tao um, in that? Well, I think love has it, to be in the Tao. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. Not that I know. <laughs> but I think so. Uh, question Richard. From Richard. Yeah, this is just, I guess there's a comment or, or one comment uh, when you were talking about uh, love. Um, it's interesting. I, I often think about, I don't know, the many facets or different versions of love, but then I also think about the feelings that, I don't know, I, I would say our culture or even us, you know, even when I was younger, I felt like there was a things that were masquerading as love but I then felt as I got older wasn't really love so I wanted to um I guess ask you you know I I, I felt like you had it early on in your talk when where we um you know certain things we think are love but really aren't love I uh, just want to know if you uh, if you would further comment on that and you know what what comes in my mind is it's almost like a selfish love where love is kind of more focused on how you feel rather than maybe how you make another person feel or how you care about other people. You know, the difference, you, you know, like possessive love or different facets, you know, I guess things masquerading as love. Yeah, it's a wonderful question and I appreciate your thoughts yeah because you know the difference you can feel that masquerading even if you can't fully put your finger on it or articulate it um, and I guess you know in so many ways I think most of us experience love as conditional <laughs> love I'll love you if blah 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 and usually those conditions have more to do with you know, what that person needs of you rather than a love that can, in a sense, put ourself aside and, and be open to, you know, discovering, you know, who, who is this person and what does this person need? And that's a practice, I think, to, to be able to do that. Um, because love is, you know, in a way, doesn't have the eye in it. <laughs> um, yeah. Any anybody else have thoughts about this? The condition the conditions of worth. And then how much we develop ourselves in relation to those conditions of worth. You know, like I'm a good person because I'm supposed to, you know, um, defer to other people. That's the message I got. So then that is kind of how I live my life. And then I think that I'm being a loving person. So there's a there's a way uh, that we need to do this self-reflecting even to see how conditions of worth have shaped who we think we are even. Yeah. Hey Clem. Hi Dorley. Um Hi. can you hear me? Um what uh, came into my mind um, when you were talking about love 
I think the best description I've heard of it is actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, if you don't mind, I'll quote a little bit of it or paraphrase it. It says, Though I have knowledge and faith, without love I have nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not boastful and not puffed up. It seeks not for itself, is not easily provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but in truth. It bears all things, love believes all things, hopes for all things, and endures and uh, endures all things. And um, to this day, I I think that that really captures the spirit of it. Very beautiful. Thank you. Jody. Hi. Hello. Thank you for that talk and for the subject. I, I just think it's, it's really, it's really nice to be talking about this because um, uh, we usually talk about it a lot more uh, obliquely and not so directly. Um, and I, I tend to. Um, I have that same faith that you do in terms of, you know, there's something bigger and, and I don't always, I'm not always uh, uh, completely aware of it, <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, but I also think the whole thing about love is kind of like, there's several, there's several different kinds of love, right? And um, it's easy to focus on, um, motherly love or parental love or romantic love, um, which are uh, just small aspects of it. And, and it's really, um, uh, for me anyway, it's, it's much more difficult to um, um, keep in mind this much larger, broader, uh, all-encompassing thing that love really is. Ne- never mind to, to try to live that. You know, that's that's another step. So I feel like, um, uh, you know, we go through different stages of life and, and there's a lot of commonalities that people have in those different stages. And so we see love differently at different times. But um, I was on a Zoom with a group um, a couple of weeks ago, and um, I probably told this story before, so some of you might have heard it, so sorry if it's a repeat, but I was so struck by this, this uh, gentleman uh, whose name is Nelson Johnson, who's a um, African-American um, Christian uh, minister who lives in Greensboro, North Carolina, and who has been involved in the reconciliation uh, uh, truth and reconciliation movement there and um, has been a, a real significant uh, and literal target of the Klan. Um, 
he was talking about things and he when he he talked about uh january 6th and and what he said about that well he said quite he didn't say quite a bit but the term he used in talking about people who stormed the capitol was our confused brothers which was a shocking term to me i intellectually i know that's true but i don't think that way about people and so this is like to me like an incredible incredible manifestation of love and you know whether it's through the christian faith or through the dharma it's, it's all the same thing and um so i like it when um it's that concrete because that's very helpful and it's also it helps to shock me a little bit out of my own um uh patterned uh or habitual kinds of stuff um and you know i i actually felt ashamed right because i was like oh yeah he's really right and what have you been thinking well <laughs> you know so um cuz it, it yeah. was not that yeah. at all and and he's not all kumbaya you know he's not like out in la la land you know this you know he's he's had to have his home guarded you know uh to protect himself and stuff like that so he's but but he understands like just and has love for this broad swath of people of humanity and i just thought that was so beautiful so i'm still chewing on this thing. yeah <laughs> you thank you and could you say the phrase again that struck you so strongly oh uh, our confused brothers uh-huh okay okay yeah yeah i mean i i i this is maybe the similar territory that you're talking about that when cornell west says don't be surprised by evil there's something about that because if because i can be shocked like oh my god you know they're when i read about slavery and specific places i can be shocked still but if i just stay shocked i can't stand up with love <laughs> i that takes a, a kind of different place of letting love be strong and stand in the face of evil um so i'm not sure if i would use the word evil i'm mm-hmm. i'm not sure how that uh. plays Can you talk more about why you're using that term? Well, yes, that's a good question. <laughs> um, that's his term, I guess. So I was sort of saying it the way he said it, which um, uh, Cornell West, who's a, a theologian at Princeton University. Um, it's it's like I guess for me as a white. person trying to understand slavery and to really face what happened there's a tendency to sort of you want to sort of make it nicer than it is kind of and so that word i guess helps me be able to um face what 
what we've done and yet and yet how do we bear witness how do we repair that how do we respond to the hurt that's underneath that um, and to me that the the sense of love standing <laughs> helps me i don't know if that makes sense but um uh yeah it does um i think I think it's important for it not to be completely individualized. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's systemic. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Let's see, Larry, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I have someone who's very close to me, who I love who's going through some difficult times and uh there's a there's a there's a there's a impetus to try and help to fix mm-hmm. and um you know i've i talked to various uh zen teachers they say just 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 love them oh so there so it's like um maybe i i turn it around a little instead of saying what love is what it's not seems to me from my experience of you know learning it's not trying to fix or change Mm -hmm. it's just to accept and be with someone mm-hmm. as they are completely as they are mm-hmm. so um that mm-hmm. kind of goes a little back to richard's Richard talk about what is about. yeah yeah right right yeah. right yeah yeah and and it's at the core of our practice of mm-hmm. it is being so right and it is a practice because i mean sometimes it can be hard to do when you know someone's suffering very deeply and you wish they weren't you know to stay in that place of acceptance and being with and not fixing that's a powerful gift of love yeah Mm -hmm. thank you anybody else have something they want to share Um, well thank you all for being here and um listening and sitting and um, bringing your presence here for each other. So we can end with our chant.